1: How long has it been since we talked about Jim Jordan on Today in Ohio? What, a week? A week and a half? He's back on today. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston. And Layla gets the first question about Mr. Jordan. Does our controversial congressman risk being charged with interfering with a criminal investigation with his outrageous demand that the prosecutor in the Donald Trump stripper case testified before his committee? about her investigation. Layla, this is just more of Jim Jordan's ridiculous overreach in his new position in Congress. Yeah,
2: it's so par for the course for him. I hope he does get charged, though, although that'll probably just give him a make him a martyr to his followers. But uh, yeah, so Jordan sent a letter to New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg Jr. demanding that he appear before Jordan's House Judiciary Committee and explain himself. In the letter, Jordan said... Quote, your decision to pursue such a politically motivated prosecution while adopting progressive criminal justice policies that allow career career criminals to run the streets of Manhattan requires congressional scrutiny about how public safety funds appropriated by Congress are implemented by local law enforcement agencies. I mean, it's your standard political false equivalency here but the letter also notes that the justice department already examined the stormy daniels hush payment scandal and passed on on pursuing it jordan says the prosecutor himself even put the case on ice for a while and and it only picked up steam again after trump announced his candidacy for president in 20, for president in 2024 the letter demands all kinds of documents and communications related to the investigation and the receipt and use of federal funds, and Jordan wants a transcribed interview with Bragg himself. A spokesperson for Bragg's office basically said Jordan can buzz off. He said the office won't be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we be let base will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. So. I don't know. What do you think? You think uh, he's really crossed the line this time, as opposed yeah, to kind I, of crossing the line or mostly crossing the line? Yeah, I, I mean,
1: you just can't interfere with a criminal investigation. We, we've had, we're going to do a story. We've had Ohio politicians get charged with crimes for abusing their campaign accounts. That's like, You're not allowed to do it. That's why we have the laws. If the New York prosecutor believes and has evidence that Donald Trump violated campaign finance laws, then he should be charged with a crime. Then a jury should decide his fate. But Jim Jordan, who is, you know, come on, let's face it. He is a sycophant to Trump. So there's kind of a conflict of interest for him here to interfere with. Look, there's separation of. The, the branches of government. We got the, the the judicial branch operating here. He's the legislative branch. It's you know state versus federal. But he's got no business doing this. This is wrong, and really, he is interfering with the criminal prosecution here, which is in and of itself a criminal act. So I, I would love to see him get charged with trying to interfere with a, a criminal prosecution. Well,
2: and also the the letter. If you read the letter, it, it it there are so many threatening statements in it too. It's so. I mean, clearly he's trying to intimidate this prosecutor, and I'm glad to see that, that there's no—the prosecutor is, has ice water in his veins, it seems, so uh, I don't think it's gonna he's going to be deterred. But, I mean, it, I just want to say for a minute, when the Stormy Daniels story first broke, as an aside here— I told my husband, "Watch this be the thing that takes down Donald Trump." Yeah. There's all this other stuff, and I still always kind of said it's going to be that Stormy Daniels porn star hush payment thing. And I cannot believe it that that is actually coming to pass. That of all the stuff of January sixth, and oh my goodness, all the things that he was impeached for. Uh, yeah, I cannot believe this is the thing that finally you know got momentum.
1: Let's face it, though, in in the grand scale of Donald Trump's sins, this is minor. Advocating the overthrow of our government and sparking the violent protest and invasion of the Capitol. That's what he should be held to. We almost lost our democracy and we still could use it because of clowns like Jim Jordan using his office in an abusive authoritarian
2: way. Exactly. And how is how is it that the evidence is more ironclad in the Stormy Daniels case than it is in the January 6th insurrection case? I find that so hard to believe. But this is probably the first of many dominoes. You got to
3: have one domino fall for the rest to fall. So, huh. you know. Yeah, it's. Gotta, the- yeah.
1: It's an easy one. You're right. This, this, hopefully it's the first domino. What he did on January 6th is the highest level of crime. I mean, he, he tried to destroy the government of the United States to maintain power like some strong man. I mean, it's, it, it was abhorrent paying off the stripper to keep information coming out about that. He had sex with her. Yeah, it's wrong. I mean, look, talk to Trevor Elkins, right? The Newburgh Heights mayor (laughs) spent how many days in in the Cuyahoga County Jail, the filthy, horrible food Cuyahoga County Jail, because he did bad things with his campaign account. You know, so this is the way it goes. Uh, But but Jim Jordan is so far out of line. It's embarrassing. That's why we're starting the podcast with it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're not done with Jim Jordan. He seems to be firing indiscriminately at any target in search of virality or, I guess, mentions on Fox News. Last week, he made the Air Force a target. Lisa, why? Yeah, and this was in his role
3: as head of the committee to investigate the weaponization of federal government. So he sent a letter to U.S. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall asking for details on the improper release of personnel files to political operatives. This is according to a report in Politico. Apparently, the Air Force told two Republican congressmen, Don Bacon of a uh, Nebraska and Zach Nunn of Iowa that their military records were improperly released without their consent during the 2022 election cycle. Apparently, a total of 11 records were released to the same third party who claimed to be a background investigator seeking records for employment purposes. Um, a U.S. Air Force spokesman told CNN that proper procedures were not followed, but there's no evidence of political motivation or malicious intent. But Jordan says, well, there's a serious breach of law and privacy here. And he fingered the due diligence group, which is an opposition research group. He says it was them that obtained the records and that they got money from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee to do so. So he's seeking all documents and all communications since January 2021. Now, as a radio reporter, I didn't have to do records requests. So my question to you guys, I mean, to me, there seems like there's a, a kernel of Of credibility here so i'm going to ask you guys about that
1: yeah a crime may have occurred here but that should be investigated criminally it sounds like somebody using a false pretense received confidential personnel files from the military Uh, and so the military should be investigating how that happened and if somebody did use false pretense committed some sort of fraud there should be a criminal prosecution but that, again, is should be handled in the criminal side of the world, not with some virality-seeking congressman who, how many different investigations has he opened? It seems like every other day. I'm going to mm-hmm. look at that. I'm going to look at that. The whole idea that he's the head of a committee on the weaponization, weaponization of government, he's the weaponizer. What he's mm-hmm. doing with this committee is the weapon, and he's just desperate to, to hit one that gets him lots of attention. I, look, I don't watch Fox News cuz it's so ludicrously stupid but i'm presuming that he's a regular presence on on Fox News talking about his plans on this
3: oh yeah he's probably their top soundbite generator by far but you know i uh, the u.s air force is not culpable i mean they immediately came forward and and told you know these people hey your personnel files were released improperly without your consent so they seem to be proactive about it so i'm not sure who jim jordan's target is here maybe it's the due diligence group i don't know
1: he just, I think his target is, is publicity for himself. And like you said, sound bites on Fox News. It's about Jim Jordan. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Winter is officially over. How rare was the warm, mostly snow-free months since winter began with the blizzard back just before Christmas? And Laura, can we say once and for all that the old Farmers Ramanac had no idea what it is talking about and really never did?
4: I think that's clear at this point i vaguely remembered reporting what the almanac said that it was going to be a snowy winter but i you know we went back and read these exact stories and on august 23rd we had a story That said the season's looking unseasonably cold and snowy for all of Ohio, (laughs) according to that publication. They thought it would be have more than that average 64 inches of snow for the season. Uh, Also, the north central states were supposed to experience extremely cold temperatures down to 40 degrees below zero during January. Obviously, that did not happen. I did like that they are so specific on the almanac saying... That we should have, uh, you know, that we should have a a fast start to the winter and a cold start. And I guess they got that right because I do know the ski hill opened about two weeks earlier than it did in December of 2021.
1: But But we had the blizzard. We did have the blizzard. blizzard. Although there was almost no snow in that blizzard. It just was very cold, windy, and white out with the snow that fell.
4: Absolutely. But only 22.7 inches of snow fell from October through Sunday afternoon. That Mm. was the lowest amount in the last 50 years. Meanwhile, high temperatures have been much warmer than usual. The average temperature from each month at the start of the winter has been higher. And that's... uh, as of records that go back to 1871 the only winter warmer was in 1931 1932 so and and we just passed the warmest year on record 20 um and so it's a uh, it's a little concerning and Zachary Smith went into detail talking to experts about climate change and obviously you cannot point to one storm event or one season as evidence of climate change but we just get keep getting progressively warmer And warmer and warmer, especially the lows are getting higher. That makes sense.
1: What was interesting is that winter did manage to squeeze out a few extra inches (laughs) in the final hours before we hit. I mean,
4: this past weekend was the most wintry weather we'd seen probably since Christmas.
1: Right, mm-hmm. right. It came down hard. It was a whiteout. At some mm-hmm. people, like Lisa, got eight inches. Others, like me, got four. And it was one of those where you're looking at it going, come on, we just finished the best winter ever. Why are you wrecking I it?
4: literally had pulled out like the deck paint to paint my swing set. And I was like, <laughs> and it's snowing. I mean, yeah, it
1: was... But it- it's all melted. It's all going away fast. So it's uh, the beauty of a March snow is it doesn't stick around long. And to give people a sense of the beauty ahead, we covered the front page of the plane dealer with beautiful photographs of spring budding forth. Our team of photographers went out on the first day of spring to get it. Check it out. It's good stuff. The pictures are also on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. For people seeking to preserve the rights of a woman to choose abortion, how pent up was the demand to take action? Layla, how many people showed up for a drive through petition signing event to put the right to abortion on the November ballot over the weekend?
2: Well, I heard from uh, the organizer yesterday. She was so happy with the turnout. They gathered between, sounds like, 350 and 400 signatures, and there'll be more of these events to come. I'm hoping for a West side location, but but this is such a great way to uh, to gather signatures. There's so many people who are eager to sign and they don't want to wait until they happen to cross paths with someone with a petition. And the drive up method makes it so easy for people and so safe, especially if there is going to be any kind of, you know, opposition that shows up to these things. This event was held in Heritage Park in Chagrin Falls over the weekend. It was organized by none other than one of our beloved vaccine queens, Marla Zwingy, who who now works with the women's activist group Red Wine and Blue. That group is is working alongside the coalition that's bringing this issue to the ballot. They need 413,000 valid signatures they initially hit a hiccup that pushed back their start time on Saturday, which was supposed to be 10 a.m. They discovered there was a formatting error on the cover sheet of the petition packets, and they had to get that squared away. And at 10 a.m., unfortunately, there were already 80 cars lined up, so they mm-hmm. people were kind of bummed by that. But many came back later to sign, and they were also out there on Sunday between 2 and 4 And, uh, you know, we also heard from a listener who let us know that the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Cleveland also hosted a drive through signature event over the weekend in Shaker Heights. And they plan on hosting many more of these as well. So, again, please bring one to the West Side.
1: (laughs) What uh, I thought was interesting in our story that explained this was going to be happening. Uh, The anti-abortion folks said they didn't plan to do protests at signature signing events. That wasn't their strategy. Their strategy is to defeat it if it goes to the polls. Uh, Of course, they are running commercials that are just flat out not telling the truth right now, which is infuriating some of the people behind this effort. I
2: appreciate Um, that they're not going to protest the signature events because the people who are showing up to those are Go, they're there to sign the, the petition. And if you're protesting there, you are there to intimidate them. And so I I, I really appreciate that they have decided that that's not going to be their strategy, that their messaging is going to be done differently.
1: Yeah, they're straight Go ahead, Lisa.
2: No, I'm I'm curious, though, because I know we talked about the one
3: in Geauga County, which happened to be Chagrin Falls over the weekend, but I'm not seeing any publicity for these signings. And I'm wondering if that's because they're worried about people showing up. So I'm wondering if there's a better way or an easier way to find out when these will be in our area.
1: I don't know. I mean, they've sent us notes about this one, and we ended up writing about it. It's interesting that we're, we're talking about how they're, the anti-folks are not protesting, but they have a different strategy that they unveiled yesterday. They've gone to the Ohio Supreme Court to challenge the entire amendment as, it, as it's been approved, arguing that the ballot board incorrectly said this was a single issue ballot question. And they're trying to say that contraception is one issue and abortion is another issue and they lumped it all together. It's a ridiculous claim, but we do have kind of right now a ridiculous Ohio Supreme court. And I could see the folks on the Ohio Supreme court going with that argument because they have thrown fact finding to the wind with their, their approach of late with Sharon Kennedy as chief justice. This could be crazy.
2: Reproductive rights. That's it. Single issue. I don't see the debate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well,
1: let's face it. Dave Yost, who was very anti-abortion, looked at it and said it's a single issue. The ballot board looked at it, said it's a single issue. But it just showed that, that. But there is because of the way things are working out in Ohio, what's right doesn't always happen. And I could see. Yeah, look, we got a Supreme Court justice that did not take himself off of a case that heavily involved his own dad. If you're willing to take those steps, you're willing to throw facts to the to the wind. So I'll be interested to see how they rule. I won't be surprised if they throw it back and cause chaos. Oh. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopifycom system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com system.
1: What's the new doohickey invented by Ohio State University that could help measure one of the unfortunate results of getting old or being an astronaut kind of a weird set of conditions.
3: Yeah, this is uh and they worked in comp- in uh, collaboration with NASA to create this device that what it does is it assesses muscle wasting and atrophy that is seen among astronauts who spend any time in space, also people who are aging or inactive or immobile or they have degenerative diseases. So it looks like a blood pressure cuff and it's wrapped around your arm. It has a special thread that conducts electricity. So as muscle grows or shrinks, the shape of the the cuff and the electrical Properties change so they can measure, you know, how much the loss is. This is the first known attempt to monitor uh, muscle atrophy with wearable devices. It builds on previous research by lead author and graduate student Aliana Rice. Uh, she's been creating health sensors for NASA. Um, astronauts can lose up to 20% of muscle and bone density, even on very short missions. And there's not much data on longer missions like people who spend time in the International Space Station. So the next phase is to connect these sensors to a mobile app that would relay data immediately to healthcare providers. And it would also integrate other health sensors that are measuring other health issues.
1: I'm presuming that for, for people who are aging, that this would require measurements over time, that, that it can't mm-hmm. measure by the moment how much your muscles are dissolving away. Or maybe it can. Maybe it happens that quickly. Uh, I certainly hope not. <laughs> but I presume that doctors will have to chart this, and this is an easy way to do it.
3: Yeah, and it's a great it's a great foundation for expanding this into clinical use. They say they're years away from clinical use, but they're certainly looking in that direction.
1: Interesting invention, funded by NASA, which has a big interest. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is the Women's Summit happening next month, Laura, and what is your prominent role in it?
4: Well, I get to welcome participants and moderate three panels, including on women in the construction industry, and being a boss. So it's going to be a really cool event. We've had it for the last four years, sponsored by Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. It's a new version of Mentoring Monday, which had been held virtually during the pandemic and then in our old newsroom last year. It was just the morning. Now it's not a Monday. It's on a Thursday, April 20th. It's at Cleveland State University, and it goes through the afternoon, so you have a lot more time for career building. I believe it's um, 9 to 4. The roundtable discussions, breakout sessions, mentoring opportunities, and for some really cool speakers, uh, Callie Bronson, the assistant wide receivers coach for the Cleveland Browns, and we've got two of our Browns reporters, Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Baystock are going to be there. Uh, the president of Cleveland Neighborhood Project is going to speak about owning your own success. So really cool time to like take a break, concentrate on your career, meet other women in Cleveland who are focusing on their careers and yeah get something out of it.
1: This your description of this event in previous years has really been positive. You've talked about the the energy that exists for the hundreds of people who attend. So
4: It is. It's uh, it there is a lot of energy and the the Advance Ohio Um, employee who organizes it, Beata Smith, she basically said that we want people to feel like they can crush it when they leave. And I think a lot of people get that feeling. There's a lot of people that understand you are empowering you. And it's just a time that you can uh, focus on yourself and applaud the women around you. So yeah, very positive, optimistic day.
1: I imagine some of the people that listen to this podcast might want to come and meet you in person. How do they register?
4: (laughs) Well, they can go uh, to, well, I'll give you the discount code. It's Women's Summit 25 is our 25% off code. And you can actually, if you go to cleveland.com, we've got a bunch of ads running on the side of it. Um, Or I, uh, you know what? I actually don't know the specific event uh, URL for it, but I will get that by the end of the podcast.
1: Or you can put it in the post that goes with the podcast. Yeah. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is the Cuyahoga County Council proposal to pass legislation that would help tenants delay eviction dying? Layla, we just had this introduced not a week ago or about a week ago. And what's the status?
2: Yeah, this one kind of caught me by surprise because I had not heard of this potentially complicating legislation that was passed in Columbus in the fall. But, But I guess then again, it should never surprise us when state lawmakers are trying to usurp the home rule authority of local government. But to remind listeners of what this is about, county council has been considering a proposal to enact what's known as pay-to-stay legislation in Cayuga County. This would mean that if a landlord is evicting a tenant for non-payment of rent, a judge can dismiss that eviction case if the tenant pays the full back rent and any reasonable late payments and court costs. That sounds so reasonable that we shouldn't even need such a policy, but there are landlords out there who would evict a tenant for being a day late and state law lets them do that. In fact, 80% of evictions, it turns out, are filed based on non-payment, And the average back rent owed is only $1,200. So most of the cities in Cuyahoga County that have a high population of renters already have this law on the books. They've done it in the past year or two. But still, Cuyahoga County wants to stand in solidarity with those communities. And an hour before a council committee was supposed to discuss this proposal, the county's law department issued a legal opinion citing an Ohio law that they say preempts the county and the eight municipalities with these similar ordinances already in the books from enacting this legislation the the ins and outs of this legal opinion are a little unclear because the law director, Greg Huth, advised counsel not to waive attorney-client privilege just yet to make that legal opinion public until they have a chance to digest it themselves. But generally, his opinion cited an, an amendment to Ohio House Bill 430, which was passed in September And the bill prohibits political subdivisions from governing landlord-tenant relationships, particularly through rent control or rent stabilization regulations. The legal opinion basically says the county's law and those of the other cities that have it are nullified by this provision of state law. So they're going to put this on ice and uh, consider it.
1: I don't know that the way that the state law is worded that it does Govern this. But if that's the case, it's just because the lawmakers screwed up. I'm sure they do want to govern this. This seems to be be another case where the the deep pocketed landlords have bought and paid for legislation, as we've seen happen so many times with this legislature. And why would you stop a city from trying to keep people in their homes? Uh, This doesn't take money from the landlords, it keeps the landlords whole. It's just being humane. And why would you want to stop that? Except that the deep-pocketed landlords are putting money into your campaign right. account or something. Right. A legislature in Ohio was so bent, and they, you know, they try to tell you, "Oh, we're serving the people." This is another salt on. The cities as well right
2: the, the proponents of this say you know pay to stay is a win-win for all the parties involved because the landlord right. as you said made whole the tenants get to stay in their homes without an eviction on the record which we know makes finding housing ex- extremely difficult and and the framers of this law who have helped it pass in the cities it, which include you know the northeast ohio coalition for the homeless and the legal aid society they they say the law department is wrong in their interpretation here they say those communities are accepting pay to stay as an affirmative legal defense, not a right to avoid eviction, which means that if the tenant has the money to pay back rent and fees, the judges tend to side in their favor. In other words, pay to stay offers tenants a defense to stay in their homes. It doesn't regulate rental agreements at all. So,
1: no. It, but, but what the legislature will do, if that's the interpretation, they'll pass another law to cover this exactly. They're, they're clearly trying right. to be the friends of the landlords and think to hell with the tenants that are going to be put out on the street. I mean, they're supposed to represent the people. They're representing the business interests. They shouldn't have passed the law they passed in October. There was no need for it. There was no issue. It's just somebody got into their ear or to their pockets listening to Today in Ohio. The case of a teen who admitted to carjackings and sh- a shooting Monday is an ideal illustration of what's going on with gun violence in Cleveland these days. Lisa, how old was he when he went on his rampage, and what does his plea mean for the rest of his life?
3: So Daryl Travis was 15 years old. Um, he pled guilty Monday to five counts of aggravated robbery with a gun enhancement and one count of felonious assault with a weapons charge. Um, This is in connection with a December 2021 crime spree in the University Circle Little Italy area. Um, Several other charges were dropped by prosecutors. They are recommending an 18 to 25 year sentence for Travis to Common Police Judge Cassandra Collier-Williams. the judge did reject the prosecutor's request to revoke Travis's bond. So right now he is uh, taking online courses. He's on house arrest with an ankle monitor, and this will be how it is until during his pre-sentencing investigation. So uh, there was a, this crime spree started December 19th of 2021, people getting robbed and, and then one of the incidents, uh, He allegedly shot a 23-year-old Case Western Reserve University student who was sitting in her car at Random Road in Mayfield. Um, She got out of the car. He took the car, but he shot her twice in the stomach before he drove off. Um, He was arrested two days later, and the victim reported that the gun that was used had a green laser sight. And when Travis was arrested, he had a gun with a green laser sight. So, yeah, uh, Judge Collier-Williams said, this is one of the youngest people I've had before me.
1: I, I, what I can't get over, he was 14 during the spree. He's 15 now. And it was what, a seven day crime spree Mm -hmm. that something you did at age 14. And it was horrible what he did. He made people suffer and scared to death, but it's gonna, it's, it's the end of his life. I mean, he'll be gone for 20 years for something he did when he was 14. And you think back to what you were doing when you were age 14, something is so wrong with this picture. And this kid was not born a criminal. What happened during his short 14 years that could could turn him into somebody that would do such cruel things? And, you know, I
3: thought that, you know, when I read the story and I saw that we mentioned his name, I thought, do we do that for 15 years old people? But he was charged as an adult, right? which is, yeah.
1: Once p- somebody's charged as an adult, we use the name. I, I, I just, this this is so symptomatic of of what's going on in Cleveland. This is a failure of society. How do you blame a 14 year old? I I just, it's one of those, I get why the prosecutors wanted to lock him up. He, he risked people's lives. He did horrible things, but he's still a kid and his life for all intents and purposes is over. It's one of the most tragic cases you've seen. The the trail of suffering he left and what is going to happen to him. You're listening to today in Ohio. Laura, do we have a candidate for next year's Ohio Supreme Court race already?
4: Yeah. Weren't you ready to get into the campaign for next year? I feel like we just had an election about it. But this is Hamilton County Common Pleas Judge Megan E. Shanahan. She's a Republican. She announced last week she's going to run for the Ohio Supreme Court in 2024. She could challenge either Justices Melody Stewart or Michael Donnelly. Those are both Democrats up for reelection. Donnelly says he's definitely running. Um, Melody Stewart hasn't been as clear-cut, but it's expected she's going to. Uh, Shanahan has been a judge for 11 years, and she says she there needs to be more justices that put the Constitution above politics. Oh, God. I mean, I, I don't know that you can argue with that statement, right? Like, <laughs> we should have a Constitution that's above politics.
1: Yeah, we um, we also need a Constitution, probably, that would put the Supreme Court into districts because we're going to end up with a whole lot of non-representation of mm. urban areas in the state. And that leads to the home rule decisions and things we've seen because parties are listed on the ballot. Now uh, a Democrat will have a very hard time being elected, which is going to leave the cities without representation on the court. She's very likely to win because she, of that.
4: She's been one of the top vote getters in Hamilton County for years and yeah, she's going to have an R next to her name. So that gives her you know a leg up in ohio
1: and they're off you're listening to today in ohio that's it for tuesday thanks lisa thanks laura thanks layla thanks to everybody who listened to the podcast we'll be back wednesday with some more news